Welcome to the Indiana High School Hoops Podcast with Dennison and May. Join hosts Matt Dennison and Chris May as they chat with coaches, players, and key figures from Indiana's prep basketball scene. All right, welcome in. Time for another edition of the podcast. Matt Dennison, Chris May here, and today we get the chance to talk with Todd Howard. He's the head coach at Indianapolis Brebuff. This is year number seven for Coach Howard at Brebuff, but a longtime college coach in our state at IUPUI. He was an assistant for many years under Ron Hunter and got the opportunity to lead that program as the head coach as well. And Chris, kind of interesting. We've talked to some high school guys that have college experience as well. Uh, coach Howard really got things started with some great college experience, and it wasn't just at IUPUI. Yeah, he's a guy who's uh, been in our state for a, a good while, and like you said, uh, helping really get that IUPUI program um, off the ground, at least at the Division One level, so to speak. And so he's got a lot of experience to talk about there, some some players, and obviously being with Ron Hunter and, and all kinds of memories there will be a big part of our conversation. But, you know, he, he fascinates me. He's got a great background, and, and for the, the folks who are listening who know Coach Howard, you know, he's a really smart guy, and he is a basketball guy through and through. And you're going to hear him tell these stories his whole life, <laughs> literally from birth, has been basketball, whether it was growing up in Louisville, uh, playing for a decorated high school and having an amazing teammate at Ballard, uh, to being the son of a player uh, at Louisville, to himself being a player for Coach Crum at Louisville. A lot of experiences there. Then he comes to Indiana with the IEPUI job. Now he's in his seventh year at Burbuff and has had some, some really nice success there as well. But again, through and through, he is a basketball lifer and uh, has a lot of history and a lot of unique, colorful stories to share with us today. Absolutely. And again, our thanks to the IBCA, the Indiana Basketball Coaches Association. They help us get this podcast out to coaches across our state. And don't forget to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts and basically anywhere you may listen to podcasts. All you got to do is search Indiana High School Hoops Podcast with Dennison and May. You can hear from all the great coaches, and we've had some terrific interviews so far as we get, I don't know, almost 30 episodes into this thing. Uh, we've had some really good uh, t- chats with coaches from across our state, and I think you'll uh, find the same, another good one today with Todd Howard of Indianapolis Brebuff. Let's get right to that interview. Coming up next, you're on the Indiana High School Hoops podcast with Dennison and May. Indiana High School Hoops podcast with Dennison and May. With today's guest, here are your hosts, Matt Dennison and Chris May. Well, we're glad to be with you talking high school basketball once again. And of course, if you follow this podcast on a regular basis, you know we talk to head high school basketball coaches for the most part throughout our great state. And today we get the chance to talk to Coach Todd Howard at Indianapolis Brebuff. And Coach Howard is a guy that I have known for many, many years. I have known his family going way, way back. So it's fun to hook up now to talk some basketball. And I think you're going to find that his uh, unique story, his background as a head coach, not only at Brebuff, but before that, both as a uh, college coach at IUPUI and his years at UofL, uh, a lot of fun to talk about. And Coach Chris and I welcome you. Look forward to catching up with you today. Likewise, guys. Uh, great to be with you all and the great work you do for, for our game and 
for coaches and student athletes and, and uh, the state of Indiana is, is better because of your all focus and love of the game as well. Matt, we're, uh, we're venturing into uncharted territory. We're talking to a guy who uh, comes from across the river down your way. Uh, and so, Coach Howard, uh, for folks who aren't aware, um, you have a heck of a basketball pedigree. Let me just say it that way. Uh, you grew up and went to high school in Louisville at one of the more storied programs down there. Give us a synopsis. Basketball in your childhood, growing up, uh, how it became such a big part of your life. Yeah, I think um, that's definitely you know a blessing. Um, I was uh, born, I think, in a in a great city and basketball hotbed. Uh, I like to say I'm kind of bluegrass born, but who's your bread? And and to, to match both of those or mix both of those is is pretty cool. I, I just turned fifty, and um, you know, as I kind of look back at just some of the experiences of of. Uh, you know, being a, a toddler and seeing Dr. J play an ABA game in Freedom Hall or, you know, being able to witness Louisville's a few national championships in 80 and 86 growing up. And and um, my father played for Coach Crum as well at the University of Louisville and played on two Final Four teams. And so, you know, that was just a, a time and an era. You know, it's weird now when you have 900 um, TV stations and I can never, like, find the game that's on. But when I was growing up, you could find the game that was on. And we were so blessed because, you know, Matt can, you know, probably attest to this. Like, we got in Louisville the IU games, the Purdue games, much less the Louisville and the Kentucky games. Um, So, you know, three, four nights a week, you're watching Katie Knight, Joe Hall, Eddie Sutton, Denny Crum. Even better than that, probably, you know, a couple Saturdays back-to-back or Sundays, you're getting their coaches show. So like it wasn't necessarily an NBA kind of deal. The, the the Colonels had long been gone. I think they left when I was five or six years old. I think I remember getting the news broke to like our basketball team at a, at a before practice. I vividly remember that at an old YMCA in Louisville. I'm like, we just all melted just, you know, boohoo tears of like that team's gone and we we're five or six years old. But, um, so that, that was pretty cool to grow up. Um, you know, so I, I, I don't, uh, I wish kids could get that experience now where like their local team, you know, is on a couple nights a week and that's their must-see TV. Now, in this area, I think you're more than fortunate enough because, you know, in a normal situation, right, you know, Assembly Hall, Mackey, uh, Hinkle, you know, Banker's Life, you know, those nights are going to, you're going to get 12 to 17,000 every night and those games are on TV, but the flood of college basketball and pro basketball and you know, I waste every night on league pass. So, you know, I kind of watch too much and, and don't enjoy enough, you know, but, but, but yeah, back to your point of like just growing up in that kind of basketball incubator, it, it you know, without question is, is kind of positioned me of where I am now. And, and most importantly, my passions and where I want to spend my time and efforts. Coach Howard, so, so many angles uh, we could take this today because you've got the high school experience, you've got the college experience, I love the bluegrass-born Hoosier-bred phrase. I think that fits you uh, completely. Uh, and so I'd like to, to go there first as we kind of work through your background mm-hmm. first as a player. You you played high school basketball at a program that I think a lot of coaches in Indiana and a lot of people will recognize the name Ballard High School, obviously in Louisville. Mm-hmm. They've had a really good tradition. When you think of Louisville basketball and maybe programs that somewhat emulate 
the tradition and history that some of the best in Indiana do, I think you'd have to put Ballard in a very similar situation. So you had some good years there, and that's a good program yeah. even to this day. I, I'd like you to talk and maybe compare and contrast uh, Ballard to some Indiana programs and then also take us through your sure. time there as a player. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and as you're growing up and in middle school, I can remember being approached by their coaching staff like, hey, why don't you be – a ball boy here. And so now that's another, you know, one or two nights every week where I'm locked in and those became my heroes, you know, and, and because of my love and I think of how that program was ran that like, and I'm sure we'll get to that point, like made me dive into the buff Jesuit of how I wanted our program to be and what I think the special vehicle high school athletics can be. And, and I've seen it just from so many of my peers, my siblings, myself, um, and, and I love that avenue. And so Ballard was very special to me, being able to, you know, um, be around that type program. It was, I think Ballard opened maybe in the early 70s. Um, Richard Smith was the original coach. Richard is still coaching at the University of Tampa. And wow. um, he is just, you know, if you ever want to look up, like, great coach, great human, great story, that's the guy. And so he actually coached my, my father in high school, I think a year or two, um, and then came over from Westport to Ballard to, to start that program. And um, they had some great players. Jerry Eves was a McDonald's All-American to Louisville. Jeff, Jeff Lamp was a McDonald's All-American to Virginia. Lee Raker as well. Um, Al Miller played at Vanderbilt, was all SEC. Jimmy Lenz played at Vanderbilt. Well, they played at Vanderbilt because Richard ended up being the head coach at Vanderbilt. But prior to that, he became an assistant at Virginia with Lamp and Raker, Sampson, and that bunch. And so, um, I just would hear the stories like those guys were right before me becoming a ball boy, but I would hear the stories of, like they said, Bill Gufford's made of Carolina made all 35 of Ballard games one year, you know, just the recruiting was so different back then. And um, so it was just neat that that lore and mainly the bar and the expectations and the standard. And like that hit me right away, even as a sixth, fifth grader, sixth grader. And, so then, you know, you progress. Lo and behold, though, we moved to Cincinnati in eighth grade, and I think my world's come to an end. But, you know, continue the blessing, I guess, if you will, and we moved back my freshman year. So um, just a number of players that were so good and so dedicated. Um, Ballard's very – has a great, rich tradition of not only players, but so when Coach Smith left for to become an assistant at Virginia, Don Salyer, his assistant, took over and – was there a few years and coached through my freshman year. Um, we were probably top five in the state. My freshman year, Felton Spencer's Louisville Eastern team was top five in the state, and we played each other on a February Tuesday night first round of postseason play. You know, much, much like uh, some of the matchups here, and we lose. And so I knew that team was really good. We had a couple guys going to play at college, um, and I'm thinking we'll never, we'll never be any good just because I had such reverence for those seniors and the upperclassmen. Well, then the next year we lose in the state finals. The next year we win it. And then my senior year was probably as good of a Ballard team as you'll find. And we just didn't get it done. It was just one of those things. But but it, um, a, a number of really good players. You know, Alan Houston was a classmate, you know, probably from third grade on. And not only an Olympian, and, you know, I think only Maravich has outscored him in SEC play, uh, but just a phenomenal human and a great NBA player and great ambassador as, as a father and Christian and parent and those things and but he wasn't our leading scorer in high school and I, I enjoy telling that to people like we had a, a small guard that was a monster at western Kentucky Mark Bell he ended one year in the NCAA tournament knocked out Terry DeHare at, at C 
Seton Hall, knocked out the next round penny at Memphis, and then took the Sweet 16 um, um, to the wire, a good Florida State team that had Doug Edwards, Sura, Cassell, and Charlie Ward. And Mark was a 5'10 guard that, you know, was toe-to-toe as good as anybody. And so um, th- that was just a unique, fun, competitive time. I thought Louisville basketball was really um, the year we won it. Um, we could have played Louisville Pleasure Ridge Park, which had a number of college players as well, but they got beat in the morning to Clay County. And so that helped us avenge a, a sophomore championship title run uh, by beating Clay County our junior year. So um, just a great environment. I, I loved, you know, there wasn't AU, there wasn't uh, trainers, there wasn't, you know, you just had to go get in a hot gym in the summers and work on your game. And if you didn't, you just weren't going to play because there were too many good players. And, and if you didn't like your playing time, you, you didn't leave either. You know, you stayed there and cheered on your teammates and um, continued to get better that week, that month, that year, or, or in the off season. And pretty tried and true recipe um, that, that I know works. And I know it works at our program now. You, you know, just the value of getting better and along the way being a great teammate. And uh, But those are some things I learned you know, firsthand as a fifth grader watching Louisville Ballard and being able to experience, you know, for the next seven or eight years was fantastic. Coach, you had so much history there, a lot of great names and and references in that that piece, but it seems like you almost glossed over the fact that your team won a state championship as a junior. Uh, You know, again, from the Indiana side of things, we hear about the Kentucky State Tournament, the format of it, the uniqueness Mm -hmm. of it. Um, take us back down uh, memory lane that that year, especially what that experience was like for a young guy. Yeah, you know, it, we were heartbroken as sophomores to lose in overtime in Rupp Arena in front of twenty three thousand. Like there was a time, so that would have been eighty seven. I think for the next few years, um, that was like the attendance record at Rupp Arena. You know, so it was you know just the mountains, the whole eastern side of the state, all the mountain folk from, uh, you know, a kind of joke, not in a disrespectful way of like, I'm not from Kentucky, I'm from Louisville. <laughs> um, I have no problem <laughs> saying that. But um, so it was, you know, 22,800 against us and our 200 people cheering for us. And, and uh, we had a great run. I mean, Alan kind of came into his own. And, and so you're tasting it each round. That's one thing. You're right. I do think when I came here, you know, coaching and going to the Hinkle and the Anderson and, and those places for regionals and sectionals, like that's what it felt like for some of my high school experiences. Because um, I think even to this day, I think Kentucky does it right. You have 16 regions throughout the state, which are, I would, you know, I don't know if you can equate it to something here, but um, it's equally distributed and as far as number of teams. And then you win your region and you go to Rupp Arena for the Sweet 16, a 16-team tournament. And I mean, the whole towns are there. And typically there's two Louisville represent, representatives. And so the other 14 cheer against the Louisville teams. Um, so at that time also it rotated Rupp Arena and then Freedom Hall in Louisville. So my junior year, you know, we just know we're getting back there. We knew we were a good team. We had everyone back. We were heartbroken. Like, we, the definition of we had become a champion before we were champions, you know, just we, we knew that was coming. And we probably played our best game in the history of the school, that, that championship game. And that's where, where you want to be and how you want to perform at that stage. And so, but that was in front of our, our families in, in Freedom Hall and 19,000. And just a, just a heck of, we had so many battles with Clay County and Richie Farmer. And I mean, it's like, right out of a movie you know it really is those those kids literally you know we had kids that wanted to play in the nba and definitely wanted to play in college 
when their careers were over, they went to work in the coal mine, period, you know, outside of Richie, who went to play at Kentucky, and um, just an unbelievable, you know, storyline. So so that was pretty neat, and, and being across the river, certainly, we, we always had a feel for, you know, um, our coach and our program always did a great job. We, we played Jeffersonville home and home. We played Floyd Central home and home. I think we played Providence uh, a little bit as well. And so those games were like big games for us. They were big tests. I remember Pat scoring 50 on us my junior year at Ballard. Um, he was a junior as well. And we're like, who was that guy? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> what just happened? Um, and then our senior year, we go over there and, you know, they're waiting for us for sure. And um, boy, I missed a free throw late. I mean, I went late. It was at the end. I missed like, I think the back end of shooting two and maybe we were up one or up two and Pat gets rebound races down. And I mean, we're at Floyd Central and I mean, I tackle them. I like, no call, luckily. I mean, there's no way on earth I didn't get called for a foul, but I was not going to let him score. You know, I wasn't guarding him or anything. It's not, you know, I'm, I'm not, I wasn't matched up with Pat. But um, so just some great, you know, back that was back when I, mean, I can still remember playing Jeffersonville that whole week. We wouldn't even take the ball out of the net. You know, they were averaging 100, and, and it was just a fun style of play. Of, of uh, And it gave us a respect. It, it, our coaches did a really good job of putting reverence on, on Indiana and Indiana basketball. And then, you know, it wasn't a surprise because me and my teammates every week were back, back what I said originally, like we're watching Purdue games. We're watching games in Assembly Hall. We, we grew up watching, you know, Isaiah Thomas and on to Steve Alford and those things. So, so that was pretty cool. Coach Howard uh, is our guest. Coach, I want to continue uh, in your career going from Ballard, of course, to UofL and how how did that play out? You you mentioned your father, a connection there, a great player there, played in two Final Fours uh, at the University of Louisville. How, how did that all come together? Was that always your goal to follow in his footsteps uh, to play for Coach Crum at the University of Louisville? And when did that, if it was your goal, when did that start to play out where the contact was made during the recruiting process and uh, they got the wheels in motion for that? Yeah, I think, um, you know, looking back, it was just such a different time. You know, like we were never worried about who was in the gym recruiting us. Like I said, there was an AU, but during that time, coaches could come to open gym in the summer. So we would have, you know, much like you see now at AU games, we would have that at, you know, 7 o'clock back gym, 112 degrees back there watching us play. And and, and that was really part of them recruiting Allen, you know, and, but then there be now at the same time, Allen's father, Wade was, I think the top assistant in the country. He recruited all those great players on that, from the 80 to 86 run multiple final fours. I think they went to four final fours during that, during that stretch. And so, so even on that front, you know, he, we were, like I said, growing up since second, third grade, really best friends. So if I wasn't spending the night at his house all weekend, he was at mine. And so if you were at his house, that meant, you know, oh my gosh, Purvis is at dinner. Oh my gosh, this guy or that Kenny Payne or, or what have you. And so you were just, you know, so entwined into the fabric of the program and, and because of Coach Houston and their, their welcoming and open doors and those things. So, um, yeah, you loved it. I mean, I lived and died with every every call, every game, every win, every loss. And um, But then when Allen really shifted, okay, I'm going to Louisville, you know, then, I mean, because he was recruited by everybody, I mean, from Duke, you know, on down. And with the intention of, hey, you know, if, if maybe your dad takes another job and you don't go or, you know, there are just a lot of variables. Well, 
in the spring of our senior year, Coach Houston gets the Tennessee job. Um, and that, that was just phenomenal. It's a great opportunity for him. Um, he's beyond a trailblazer, first African-American student athlete at the University of Louisville, first African-American um, head coach in the SEC. And uh, just to grow up around that family was, was outstanding. And, and you know, they were like a walking museum within their own deal, like Mrs. Houston's dad, William King, K-E-A-N, is like legendary Louisville Central High School football and basketball coach. I mean, it, he may have like seven, 800 basketball wins and like 500 football wins and just uh, unbelievable coach and man and human and those things. And, and in their formative years and early in their marriage and when Alan grew up, they lived on Grand Avenue, the same street as Muhammad Ali, a couple doors down. So there were two Olympians growing up on that street, um, which is pretty cool. And so just being around the Houstons and the program and much less, you know, my father's teammates were still around town and going to games and those things. Like, it, it was definitely in your blood. And so th- there really wasn't an opportunity to do that until Allen left for Tennessee. And then a spot opened up. And just being, you know, going to their camps, working their camps, um, going down there in the summer for open gym or going to practices all the time. Like if we had a day off school, Alan and I were going to go down to practice and watch and shoot on the other side goal and screw up practice probably, <laughs> you know, with talking and laughing and balls bouncing and stuff. And uh, meanwhile, there's a final four out there on the, on the team getting after it. And, um, it's almost recess for us, but um, so there's just that familiarity. And then that opportunity presents itself. Of, hey, we have a spot here. You know, it's probably not going to be the same role Alan has, <laughs> you know, but um, it, it was really, really good and really great for everyone. You know, it allowed it. Alan goes to play for his father in the SEC, and he just had a monster career there. And, um, you know, opened up a door that, you know, I probably didn't see as available as a nice 10th or junior in high school. But, um, you know, it just shows of, of uh, sometimes being in the right place and sometimes working hard and, and uh, kind of, giving your all and, and um, you know, that those things kind of fall into place at times. And that certainly was one of them. I mean, coach, obviously we're working towards your coaching career, but give us a, a brief synopsis. You, your days on the Louisville Cardinals roster. I know the NCAA tournament was a regular occurrence uh, in your years there and, and what the overall experience was like playing on a team led by coach Crum. Yeah, that, that was so cool. Of like, um, as I mentioned, you know, the coaches shows, the games, you know, we'd go back, you know, I can remember like I was explaining something to, to my kids of a really cool song I liked. And I can remember like Scooter and Rodney McCray putting that on a jukebox in the locker room like back in 82 or whatever. And so they don't know what I'm talking about. But just some of those memories of being around it and seeing Coach's show and, and uh, how he coached and the, the demeanor and what he taught. And all, always really knowing, and mainly for my father, because Coach Crump had just come from UCLA when, when he coached my father, knowing that lineage of, like, everything they do, that's not everything, but, like, that's what Coach Wooden believed in. Well, Coach Wooden just won 10 national championships. So, like, that, I, you know, it's not a situation. And I was never that type anyway of, like, well, is this going to work or his coach know what he's doing I mean I was you know back to everything I don't care if I was eight-year-old baseball to 18-year-old baseball and I've just always been blessed with whatever league I was in or whatever team I was just extremely blessed of like yep I've got the best coach and that has nothing to do with me that's just kind of who was assigned to coach our team or what district I lived in or whatever and so that was pretty cool as I look back I mean literally like 10 for 10 12 for 12 whatever it is literally 
great models of like coaching, teaching, modeling great behavior, modeling work ethic and, and those things. And, and I live it to this day. But so to, to that question, um, then you're there with Coach Crown. And I can still remember like first team meeting, first practices. And as with anything, you get on the other side of the curtain and things, they're just different. You know, like you expect them to do certain things and maybe that doesn't happen. Or you expect them not to do certain things and the opposite is true. So that was really neat. Um, I can remember, I think our first road trip was about this time of the year to, to Maui. And we are probably a top five, top 10 team and just getting ran off the court by Missouri. And I'm used to my high school coaches, you know, if we're getting ran off the court in high school at halftime, we're most likely we're probably running sprints at halftime. <laughs> we did that with, with the lead and a deficit at halftime. Like you run it back to the locker room, but no, take a right back to you and get on the line. Like, Oh man, man, we need to rebound better. But, um, and coach Crum didn't blink, you know, it's just like, you know, you're not ready to play. You're not rebounding. You're not hitting the open man. Like, well, check, check, check. Yeah. It's kind of what's, what's understood doesn't really need to be said too much. And so I learned a lot of that of like, he didn't waste words or energy. He was just, you know, Al McGuire turned him cool hand Luke. And that, that was wholeheartedly seven days a week. Just, just, I've never, never saw him raise his voice and I don't care if you coach T-ball, that's hard, hard to accomplish, you know, so for him to do that for so long, but it was because he knew, and that was kind of a mantra of his that I learned of like, you know, I can't guarantee you will win or go to Final Four if you do these things, but I can guarantee you won't if you don't do them, and that's, I think, kind of what coaching is, is putting your players and program in a position to win if they do the things you work on, you know, I think I've enjoyed watching some of these wild, crazy early college games, and you can tell, like, Boy, that team, they practice those shots. You know, watch Richmond yesterday. Like, yep, they, they practice those shots. That's that's the shots they want. That's the shots they get. And because that's what they practice, guess what? They're good at it. And then, you know, no knock against Kentucky or maybe some of the younger teams around the country. You know what? They're just trying to figure out how to do a drill probably right now in practice, right? You know, <laughs> so um, they're, they're not there yet. And so that was just something – Coach Crum, I don't care if it's the first day of practice or, you know, a, a Final Four shoot-around, like, it was going to be the exact same thing. Now, there's a monotony there, but then as you grow in coaching and grow, you know, you see the Tony Dungy quote of, like, you know, do the uncommon things, you know, do the common things in an uncommon way and be extraordinary with ordinary things. Like, that's Coach Crum. You know, it's not fun. there's no bells and whistles. There's no smoke and mirrors. It's, you know, can you take care of the ball, get the shots we practice, and so that was fun to see that up close every single day. Um, looking back now as 18, 19-year-old, boy, I wish I uh, paid attention a whole lot more just because all the time, the, the stories, the, the X's and O's, um, you know, who we played against and, you know, his lineage of playing that team for the last 12 years. And this, this worked, you know, a dozen years ago. And so, you know, I always felt like, boy, if that's how he approaches it, I better really have a good catalog and understanding of, of historical stuff that can help our team give them confidence and you know preparation and you know all we're all we really sell on our players and program is preparation and production you know to do both is really really rare and uh, but but it'll achieve success and so I would, I would say those things probably were learned from him seven days a week and you arrived at Louisville as a player uh, just a few years after a national championship. In addition to the storied tradition that exists around the Louisville program, you mentioned Freedom Hall. I'm not sure that 
uh, everyone that's maybe not from the part of the state, just a stone's throw away from Louisville, would understand all the history immediately that comes to mind uh, with that facility and the opportunity to play there. But in addition to all of that, you arrive when things are at a high just years after a national championship and really what was a great 10-year span for the Louisville program. Talk about that and just the excitement that was around everything during that time. Yeah, you know, it, that that was what was so cool from, you know, the lineage of Ballard of, you know, as I mentioned earlier, just a, a bar that was set, standards were set, and, and you got to produce. And there were just so many good players naturally. You know, I can remember, like, our first day of Open Gym, and, and on the heels of, you know, they won it in 86 and easily could have won it, you know, the next two or three years. And that's in between, between 80 and 86. They go to, I think, four Final Fours and could have won it those years. And on top of that, you know, I think a lot of common fans would would, would understand or remember, like, Louisville wins it in 80, 80, Indiana 81. Louisville goes to Final Fours, I think, 82, 84, 86 and wins it. Indiana wins it in 87. I think in, Kentucky went to a Final Four in 83 or 84 in there as well. And um, so, you know, those years were, were really at a high level. Um, and you just saw Coach Crump's teams peak. And, you know, this time of year, now they, they would probably stub their toe. They would probably, you know, overschedule. Their schedules were always ridiculous. And I love that. I think that was a phenomenal piece to what made him great. Um, and, and so, that run was really, really humming at that point. Um, I would have loved to have seen, you know, Allen join that, that fray of, of the mix of talent and lottery picks and pros and those things. But um, then I would have been somewhere else, <laughs> quite honestly. So I would have been watching on ESPN. But um, but that was pretty neat. And then so as you're entering the off season, Purvis was just the number one pick in the draft. So that was really cool. Like, both him and Kenny Payne was a first-round draft pick. They were seniors with that group and, um, in 89. And so you'd go into open gym and think you're, you're fit, you're ready, you're excited. Boy, you just want the opportunity. You just want the opportunity. And then, lo and behold, like the first couple games of pickup games, not only is Purvis and Kenny, but a number of guys that were still in the league, you know, like Rodney McCray, Daryl Griffith, um, Derek Smith, Milt Wagner. You know, it was just really, really neat. Um to see that they valued, you know what, we're going to come back and iron sharpens iron, the teaching, the talking, the, you know, playing every night after camp. And, and it just showed, you know, just like coach Crum, there's no secrets. I mean, you're going to, you're going to be in here. You have to hundred degrees and you probably need to prop a door open, but this is where guys got better. And there weren't, you know, there wasn't a, a $1.3 million like locker room <laughs> by any stretch. Um, Probably the, the locker room currently up here at Lifetime Fitness is a lot better than what we had, but that wasn't what players worried about back then. It was it was can we win, you know, and, and win was even before can can I play. It was just can we win, and uh, and you saw that from some of the greats uh, that I grew up watching, and now all of a sudden, lo and behold, they're kind of showing you how to take care of the ball or don't throw the ball. Don't if you're dribbling, you know, be on this side of the floor. Don't do this. Don't do that. And, you know, I find myself teaching our players some of those things now. So that that, that was a a really good time. And, and as I mentioned, you know, um, I think Allen headed to Tennessee, you know, was a big component because his dad left and, and had just a great recruiting prowess. But, but as a basketball fan, even during that time, now you look up, well, Rick Pitino's coming into Kentucky. Coach Knight's going, getting ready to go on a monster run with the Final Four team. And, 
and those things. So, so you know, you you were just enthralled with the game and, and college basketball uh, seven days a week. So, coach, um, after your playing days, you stay right there on campus, and I, I think your first coaching job—you can correct me if I'm wrong—is is as a, yeah. <laughs> an assistant there with Coach Crum um, yeah. and the Cardinals. Uh, what, what, yeah. what was that in your plans? Uh, did you see that coming? How did that come to play? Again, no plans whatsoever. Matter of fact, I, w- I would run from it because you know you'd have spring meetings at the you know kind of exit meetings every spring, and talk about summer schedules. You know what what sort of job, um, what your course load is going to look like, what you need to work on, and, and those things. And invariably, Coach Crum would always talk about what about coaching? Do you think about coaching? And I it always said, Lord, no. You know, my livelihood will never depend on like someone in my age bracket or um, mental capacity, <laughs> you know, like that's not what I'm going to defend my livelihood on um, all the time. And just ran from it, ran from it, ran from it. So my first job uh, early was, was at Republic Bank and really wanted to get into that um, growth and ladder within the banking industry and those things. And again, like just such a blessing. This was something moved me to do it. And, you know, the, definitely very appreciative of it so I'm coming home one day after work and decide I'm just going to go in to watch Ballard have open gym and at that time Dewan Wheat um, was there as a senior I guess yeah at Ballard and very good player ended up being a 2,000 point scorer at Louisville and, and Coach Crum was there recruiting him and and he mentioned it like, "Hey, what about coming aboard as a graduate assistant?" I said, "No, I'm really a little too busy and definitely can't travel. You know, I didn't want to travel." And um, well, no, we, we can work around some things, work around some things, and just just come, just come to practice. And matter of fact, come tomorrow morning. We're meeting and all that. So I do. And this is coming from someone, you know, just you know, kind of stating it like I've been around the program literally since I was born. <laughs> you know, and I really felt like I knew every trainer I knew Judy Calgill in the basketball office I knew, and they knew me you know like this was something I really felt you know like I knew literally like the back of my hand and well, I go in these meetings or playing practice and talking recruiting and I'm like y'all do this every day <laughs> you know like I had no idea I thought I knew the program I thought maybe they just came in for lunch and got organized and changed clothes because back then they all wore not always a suit and tie, but always slacks in and in a sport coat to practice to, to to the gym every day or to their office every day. It was just a different world, and uh, you know, a lot of adults and older guys with families and coaching profession was just a little different. But um, um, probably no different. I love seeing some old pictures of baseball, or basketball games. You know, everyone in the crowd's in a suit and a top hat or whatever. But um, yep. that was kind of the, the vibe there. So, but I was just blown away that like they did all this planning for practice and did all this planning, like what the recruiting week looked like and who coach needed to call. And it just, as much as I never wanted to be part of the coach, that hooked me, that hooked me. So all of a sudden my hours at the bank started dwindling as did the income. And now I'm spending more time there at the basketball office and doing kind of off- offensive efficiency reports for, for their staff and really enjoyed that. And, um, you know, just uh, really threw myself into it and uh, was hooked. And, and then then it was, okay, this is what I want to do. It really is. And, and namely, um, part of some of my pathway was, like, 
half and half. I wanted to be a college coach, but then the other half literally was saying, I want to be a high school varsity basketball coach in Indiana. And I didn't know how to do either of those, you know, like my girlfriend at the time and current wife, and we've been together since probably 88, I guess. Um, she wanted to be a CPA. She is a CPA. She knew how to do that. She knew what to do, what to take, where to intern, what to do, you know, all those things. And I didn't know how to do any of that. And so, um, just kind of through networking and some of those things, it it opened some doors. But when people do ask, like, how did you get to IEPUI? Not to jump ahead of you guys, but so as I wanted to get into college, you know, when she was living in Indy, I'm in Louisville, um, a big piece was probably like, you know what, this has been a good run we've had, but I'm probably going to get on the college scene and, you know, maybe end up at Furman or UTEP or whatever, and maybe this doesn't continue, you know. Um, well, Lo and behold, her boss at the time, it was the, the county firm she worked at, was an IEPUI Hall of Famer, and um, had told her like, "Hey, they've just they're just hired a new coach, and I think there's plans to go Division One." Now, mind you, she lived on New York Street in Lockerbie, uh, which is maybe a, a four wood away from IEPUI's campus, and I'd never heard of IEPUI ever in my life, and so kind of did some research and it, it was research. I don't think I, I was like logged on to the internet or anything. It was just kind of calling around. And so that really opened up my eyes to, you know, IPI and coach Hunter being his first year. I joined his staff his second year, but, but lo and behold, um, and again, not to jump ahead, but like he was a Louisville fan through and through a coach crumb fan through and through. And so he knew some of the staff and, I mentioned it to them, and, and it was a no-brainer. So, um, just a lot of really neat incongruent, congruent, <laughs> congruent pathways that kind of land you throughout the coaching. And I think any coach that's kind of done it, this will be. I actually told our players, and I probably scared them when I said this was my fourth decade in, in the coaching. I think it scared them a little bit, but I'm sure there's so many of these types of stories that don't make sense or add up. It's just kind of being blessed and being in the right place. Coach, uh, you would go on from U of L after the student assistant experience to IUPUI, as you alluded to, and you spent a lot of years there. It's it's quite often you see college assistants bounce around a bit, work for different head coaches, move around before ultimately maybe getting the chance to lead their own program. You got a chance to do all of that uh, at one place, and uh, looking back on your time at IUPUI kind of amazing really that it worked out you could spend so many years there as an assistant coach and ultimately get the head coaching spot yeah that that was again just a unique deal because I had so many peers and friends that you know I would be excited for them and then I'm kind of thinking like oh my gosh they've got to move to Murray Kentucky this weekend and where are their kids going to go to school what's going to happen where will their wife get a job oh hopefully she gets something on campus or you know all these things that you know, people don't really see as part of the coaching, truly part of the, the profession and the grind in the past. And, um, and we, you know, um, I, I was very blessed because I saw it from, from Ron, from Coach Hunter. You know, a, a lot of people thought, so he had been an assistant at Miami of Ohio for Herb Syndic, and on that staff was him and Sean Miller. Um, when Ron left, Sad Mata took his spot at Miami of Ohio, and you know it doesn't matter the sport. Miami's continuing to be the you know cradle of coaches, and so some of those stories were phenomenal. But you know Ron set a great example of like he had young children, and you know if his son R.J. who you know became a first round draft pick, or his daughter's you know um, has her doctorate in, in psychology, just a great family. You know if she had a volleyball game, like he wasn't missing that, and. 
if that man he's leaving at what at three forty five to go catch a game out of Avon, that's what's happening. And I I was able to see that. Um and I think so many times in the coaching world and profession you think you need to put in another layer of four hours to go watch something or do something, but he just had a great, like, we'll get our work done and we will be with our families and we will parent our kids and we will love it, you know, and we'll be good. And it worked. And so, and at the same time, I think so many people thought he was going to be on to the next job, on to the next job. Well, he was there 16 years. I was there 19 years. Um, and part of that allure, if you will, we just, we were always getting better the next year. You know, we, we probably had a run of 10, 11 years where we got like, not incrementally, exponentially better each year with the talent we brought in, the, the competitiveness in our league, competitiveness within the state. You know, we had a run, a six or seven year run, where we had the most wins in the state of Indiana um, of all 10 Division One programs. And, um, you know, had some injuries. And, and I think, you know, George Hill had a redshirt year, and I think that kind of knocked us out a little bit. But um, now that he had a redshirt year and left a year early for the NBA draft. But I think if, you know, he couldn't have been there both years, but if he was there one of those years, you know, we probably could have strung that out some more. So that was neat, literally building a Division One program from scratch. And as you look around, like we went into the into the Division One ranks with Belmont and with Oakland and with Lipscomb. Uh, well, those programs that had 50-year NEI or D2 runs where they won 42 games every year, and so they're used to packing their gym they're used to you know having a camp of a thousand kids they're, they had a program I and mean, they had a legit you know they were division one before they were division one and uh, and so we it, i just thought it was a great move for us to go division one because it matched the city it matched the university it matched you know everything that was needed at that time and and ron was able to steer it because he had done the same thing at wisconsin milwaukee as an assistant so not only from basketball side but athletic department wise everything you know like the steps you know we, we really took all the right steps and so lo and behold you find yourself in the ncaa tournament in year three of being a division one program and that's you know i think florida gulf coast did it but no one else has even come remotely close and um so so that was really able to help us build equity in the city and then you start to recruit indian all-stars and then you know there's a kid growing up in your basketball camp that was pretty good and just you know super, super full of energy and the best kid you've ever want to be around. And all of a sudden you see a broad ripple box score and a kid named George Hills get like 32 as a sophomore. And you're like, is that George from camp? <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> you know, you build a program where, that sends a team to division one tournament. A couple of years later, you're able to recruit a kid that you've helped foster his upbringing of, of being a camper and those things. And he's a first round NBA draft pick. And so those are, those are like storybook deals. And so, um, at the same time, not have to worry every spring, whether it's myself or Ron, of like, okay, well, am I getting the job? Am I doing this? Am I doing that? Like, you just hunker down, and, and the results show because of that. You know, kind of some of the lessons I've talked about of growing up in a hot gym in Ballard, you weren't worried about the outside noise because there wasn't any outside noise. It was just, can you get better? So, you know, Ron really challenged me. I knew who he worked for and worked with, and so that was motivation for me of like, I better bring it. I better make sure we're in on the top kids in the city and in the state. And guess what? If they aren't coming here, then that's because they're going to Indiana or Purdue. Now that didn't happen all the time, but we did get our fair share of, of local players that we thought would fit our program and, and do great. So you fast forward, um, 
I just turned 50 and, and uh, my son did a great video for me of like a bunch of former players and colleagues and those things. And just to see what all those kids are doing now and their families and what they're doing in the city was just, you know, to be able to build that, you know, over a couple decade period is, is uh, you know, it's breathtaking. It really is. As I look, look back on it, it's really, really cool. I mean, Coach, I feel like we could ask a hundred questions because of all the great uh, storylines you've laid out here and building the Division One program at IUPUI, uh, you know, having a future NBA player on a roster. Um, but a couple things stick out to me, uh, and I'd love to hear your perspective on it. One is um, how different I perceive coaching under Coach Crum could be versus coaching under Coach Hunter, because as, as everybody knows, Coach Hunter and, and, you know, whether it's the clip of when you guys qualified for the NCAA tournament or at Georgia State when he's on the floor and hurts his knee and all these kinds of things, um, they seem like totally different personalities from the outside looking in. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious in, in that. And then also, as you referenced, you, you end up being at IUPUI for 19 years, and I think you said was it 15 or 16 of them with Ron. I mean, again, an assistant coach to stay with the head coach that long – what was that dynamic, that relationship that made that work between the two of you guys for so long? Yeah, and those are great questions. And I think that really like fueled my, because that was really my first foray into coaching, you know, of like, um, I remember when I was coming aboard as, as a graduate assistant with Coach Crum and, you know, really met with Coach Jones, his longtime 30-year assistant, um, Maryville native, um, I'd come to uh, Louisville from Pepperdine. Coach Crum had been out there at UCLA, so I'm sure they were well-versed and good friends. And so I could just remember him talking about getting into it and doing things. And I said something, I don't know what I said, but it, it, um, Coach Jones says, well, now you're not going to be doing any coaching. <laughs> He's like, the coach is down the hall. So what I need you to do, uh, and I think I even left that meeting, literally, I left that meeting. He's like, and double check that restroom down there. I don't think there's any toilet paper in there. And so I'm like, <laughs> okay, here we go. Well, like my first job at IEPY, I can remember Ron wanted me to order taps. So like I wanted to, you know, get the best. I'm calling NBA teams. I'm calling the pace, you know, all these things. I'm probably asking him 12 questions. And I think he summed it up by like, if you want me to do it, I'll do it. But I just ask you to get some towels, you know. So those, my point being like, I wasn't going to be doing any coaching. Well, all of a sudden now I'm at IUPUI and, and I'm not a graduate assistant. I'm one of the assistants and Ron gave us great ownership, whether that was in recruiting or coaching or on the floor and timeouts. And, and quite frankly, I hadn't seen that. It was no, no disrespect to any of the assistants that I played for, but it was kind of how that system was set up and their deference to coach Crum, you know, they, they really didn't need to say, no, they said a ton and prepared a ton and did a ton, but they were not going to be able to really like, stop practice and say something, you know, either coach already had or a player had, you know, um, cause you're playing with some really, really good, smart old players. And so, so now that even continued, you know, it wasn't something where as so many of us, you know, you get into a profession and a week into it, you're like, nah, this, this ain't it, man. This is, well, I was the other way and it just affirmed I was in the right place at the right time working for the right people. And, and uh, Ron was really good at that, but you're, you're spot on. And certainly people would say that, or, you know, family and friends would say that, gosh, he's not coach. Grant. He's so different. And, and the, I love that to the hilt. I didn't want to work for another coach crime. I'd seen coach crime in action from zero to 24 years old or whatever it was. And so 
that was neat because there are plenty of times of, you know, maybe we're down at UNLV by eight and Coach Crum is, you know, cool hand Luke, you know, and, and not going to rattle the cage a little bit. Well, maybe me as a player and growing up kind of firing feisty, I want him to rattle the cage. He wasn't going to do that. Well, Ron would rattle the cage <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of get the most out of out of that particular opportunity so all it showed and this was like a great line that coach crumb had was like there's a million ways to skin a cat and um i I really enjoyed that helped me grow and learn because i wasn't going to go into any more practices or any more drills really thinking on the forefront like what would coach crumb do well because it's not what we're going to do here you know it's just going to be different now certainly there are a million things around would ask like what what did you do in, in that press you know louisville's press was a staple in the eighties and Ron loved that. And so there are many things I could count on, um, in, in that way, but it just, it helped me shape things totally different. It, it, it which I, I can't even, you know, I, again, didn't know that at the time, but now that I'm, you know, at this age and 50 and those things, I can really look back like, boy, that helped me so much. So that, that was neat. That really was. Coach, you, you touched on this, but I'd be curious to know a little more, uh, what was it like with George Hill at IUPUI? You work with him obviously very closely. Uh, I think you still have a, a great relationship to this day, and he's went on to have a very nice NBA career, but he was such a big part of your time at IUPUI. Just love to hear more about him. Yeah, that, that was really cool. I think, you know, as I mentioned, him being a camper and then fast forward a few years later, and he's like, producing at a major league level here in box scores. And you're like, is that the same? You just, you know, I hadn't seen him in a couple of years. And so, <clears throat> boy, even back to our camps, um, you know, in that in that era, you'd have, you know, Eric Gordon and George and, you know, the, some of the great players at Pike, Barlow and Rodney Smith and some of those guys, that, you know, they're 10 years old in your camp. Um, then, you know, kind of unrelated a little bit, but, you know, then you look at R.J. Hunter Ron's son, who's, you know, in his middle school years, and we would have camp literally, you'd be a nervous wreck driving in, of like, you've got to get the teams right, because Yogi Ferrell, Devontae Smith-Rivera, RJ, Gary Harris, Zach Irvin, and I'm probably missing five other kids, of like, if you stack those teams wrong, like, kids were crying, you know, and not coming back, <laughs> so <laughs> there were just so many really good players um, coming up in camp, and probably... George was one of the first, you know, of like kids we really got to know and he got to know us. So he was able, you know, we used to kind of say that, hey, there aren't any kids in the back backyard going three, two, one and IUPUI wins. George was. And just because of how he really fell in love with our players and, and coach and our staff and, and those things. And so you start to recruit them and understand, A, just what a phenomenally special kid he is. And to this day, I mean, just a, uh, an old soul, a phenomenal soul, great parents, uh, great grandparents, his whole, you know, network of family and friends, just so supportive uh, to this day. And so it was great. And, and what was even neater, like George didn't start his freshman year. You know, he, you know, I think cracked the lineup once we got into conference play in January or whatever, but he just had some things to learn and there were some good players ahead of him, you know, like guys like Akeem Clark from Gary and Johnny Miller from Muncie and, and they were juniors and seniors and George was a freshman. He was not better than those guys. You know, I don't care if it was a drill or a game or, you know, David Barlow was a point guard. 
uh, he was not going to beat out any of those guys right then. Now, as you got going in the games and doing different things that made our team and our lineup best, certainly, you know, and his minutes probably didn't change a whole lot. But but that was pretty neat just because he was really locked into making our team better. How can he get better? Um, just a joy to be around all the – and that's not always the case. You know, that's one thing at the college level, like – the travel, the buses, the airports, the airplanes, the layovers, the hotels, the meals, the, you know, you're around a whole, whole lot. And fortunately, that's another blessing that I don't think happens all the time. We love being around our team and our guys because if we could choose who's on our team. And you know what? I, I don't like when coaches say, well, this, they don't understand the culture or that you recruited them. So, <laughs> you know, what are you doing? And so we really, um, I thought stood, firm and just you know the number of kids that were going to come in our program we're going to make our campus better and make our team better and so I don't care if it was RJ or even my son like on a road trip they're playing video games in a room or back in the bus watching something or whatever and and you enjoyed that because they were just such good kids but George was really you know a teammate to all a friend to all and just did a wonderful job of you know kind of being a Pied Piper here in the city of you know championing our program. Well, Coach, we've t- heard all these great stories, all this great history, and we haven't even touched on you as a high school coach, which is what this series of mm-hmm. podcasts is all about. Um, it's hard for me to believe, first of all, that you're now in your seventh year leading Brebuff. Time right. flies. I guess that's that's proof right there. Um, what was it like for you to transition from the college level into the high school game? And you've had your first six years have all been winning seasons at Brebuff. Um, what's this experience been like for you overall? You know, I, th- I think it's been phenomenal, A, and part of that is because I've had, you know, just the opportunity of being around what I considered one of the nation's best programs. Um, you know, I mentioned um, Richard Smith starting Louisville Ballard and then Don Salyer, and I don't think I mentioned I played, you know, so I played for Coach Salyer my freshman year, and then he left, and Scott Davenport comes in to coach us uh, our sophomore <laughs> year, and he had just left the uh, the bench that he was an assistant at VCU with the assistants there were him, Tubby Smith, and Ray Harper, who won multi-national championships at the Division Two and NAI level, and for, for Mike Polio um, at VCU. So, you know, we're coming. You know, we knew Coach Davenport. I knew him definitely because you know he he was had been at Ballard previously for Coach Salyer, but you know, as a college coach coming in, and, and that meant a lot to us you know, that he wanted to come coach at Ballard. And so um, that that was pretty neat. And I, I just loved all the different things about, you know, our whole program of what we did. And, and it's different now, but I try to incorporate and implement some of those things of being, you know, a truly a, a program that's about our families and about our players, future, current, past, um, all those things to really – make sure our guys know that, A, when they come to practice every day or they're shooting up for a game or, you know, the buff basketball means something to them. And I see that, you know, day in, day out. And that makes me extremely proud because it's it's about them respecting, you know, the Allen Hendersons or the 2000 State Championship team or um, being at their best to help, you know, when we host interested families, you know, that are looking at Burbuff. Um So I think th- those – things that I learned at Ballard um, have really you know, made me you know, love Indiana high school basketball. As I mentioned, that was kind of a goal, you know, one of the pillars of, of my goals in coaching of doing that, and, and I didn't know how to get there. So um, 
but I think what's been unique at this level, um, just so many good players, so many good coaches, so many good programs um, that, that, that I've just enjoyed it, the preparation and, and building something. And, you know, I think we've had some teams, our sectional at the 3A level for a while, you know, we produced the champions in, in Attics and Garen and um, each of us, I think, over the past three, four, five years have been someone in that sectional has been good enough to win it all. And uh, that's kind of how we feel. If you're good enough to win that sectional, you're going to have a chance in three basketball to go all the way. And, and, and each year kind of shows that. But um, So I think that's been um, something I've enjoyed a lot. Um, you can just do so much of, you know, if there's kids that want to play at the next level, I feel that I have uh, the wherewithal and the vision and the experience and, and contacts to help and we've been able to play some some talented guys at the next level with their hard work the uh, bus is different because and i meant to kind of even lead off with this so like being here you know 20 years or so uh, prior to being at Burbuff, and i told people this early on in my career here at Burbuff, you know as a college coach for 20 years let's say you're on 20 high school campuses a year it's probably way more than that you know let's say it's 30 um, over 20 years, that's 600 schools. I've probably walked into there to say hi to their principal or athletic director, their coaches, walked the hall, sat in their gym, what have you. And I bet 90 plus percent of the time I head back to my car and, and I'm like, boy, those people are saints. Good Lord. How do they do that? Like that's, the that environment's tough. You know, the, the atmosphere's tough. Boy, those kids, you know, they're, they're probably not learning it the way that they should, or the school is just too big. How can you possibly have a value as a student or as a kid or in a monstrosity of a place like that? You know, all those kind of things. But decade after decade after decade after decade, I would always say, and I'd comment to my wife all the time, like, you know, I may be a buff to recruit somebody or watch somebody else that I'm recruiting play there, but I'd always be like, boy, that place is different. Man, it reminds me about it. Man, that place is just, there's something different. And I said that for decades. So, you know, very, very fortunate. Ron's able to move on to Georgia State. And um, I was able to take over for him at IUPUI. And, and you know what? We, we were quite young, uh, quite injured, and just didn't have enough time, quite frankly. And, and that happens. That happens in college athletics. that matter the sport. And um, that, that's how it goes sometimes. But I was very fortunate for me and our family to stay in the same house, in the same schools, at the same church, all the different things that make our daily life, nothing really skipped a beat because this Burbuff opportunity opened up. And and I was right. Like all the things I would say, boy, Burbuff's different, Burbuff's special. Yeah, I was right about that. A lot of the things in my coaching career, I had no idea or didn't know how to connect from A to B. But this one, I thought that was right about because I just love the leadership. I love, you know, our, our, the people who work there, uh, the kids that go there, the kids that have gone there. And I just had some good, good friends that had, had some, you know, family lineage there. And, uh, you know, that just stuck out to me for years and years and, and now entering year seven and, and couldn't be happier. Coach, I think you bring a unique perspective because you talked about recruiting the city of Indianapolis and really the state of Indiana and beyond, but specifically Indianapolis. Now you're preparing your team to play against some of these great coaches and great high school programs in Metro Indianapolis and the players on a night in night out basis. You're from Louisville. You've recruited at the college, the division one level. You're just a basketball guy through and through Indian Indianapolis, the state of Indiana, but specifically where you're at in Marion County, 
just an unbelievable uh, number of Division One players talent each and every year. It's got to be, uh, even despite your travels and your experiences as a player and coach, it's got to be one of the, the most special places as far as talent goes and, and basketball goes anywhere. Yeah, definitely. And I've just always enjoyed, we knew in recruiting, like if you were able to get a, a kid from that played for Steve Whitty, that played, you know, this school or that program or, you know, went this far in the tournament or maybe they're not a historical team, but, man, they got to regionals and played in Richmond and Saturday morning or Hinkle. You know, like, they had been tested. They had been coached. They had played against the best. Um, you know, someone before me at Louisville had turned. They chose Louisville because they were going to play with the best, against the best, and for the best. And I think this state encapsulates that as well of – Every night, you know, and that's what one thing I like about being here. Um, we may play some some powerhouses. You know, we've played some of the top teams in the state, no doubt. Uh, there could be some teams on your schedule that maybe aren't, you know, at that level. But they probably have a guy that, like, archives have played against in the springs and summer, and they know, like, okay, he's really, really good, so you better be. So it's every night you're playing against really good players. Um, and then you throw in the fact I, there's a – it's more than a handful of like if I had to win a game any level any time of year whatever I would there's a number of high school coaches here in Indiana that would be on that list and I'm not just saying that I've just seen I've seen their work for too long I've seen you know I don't want to mention too many names but you know from Mark James on down you know like just too many guys that you know what they, they will take whoever's walking the halls and put a really good team together you know I live right around the corner from um, Larry Bullington, you know, who's coached uh, some great teams here in the state. Um, he brought his grandkids over the other day to shoot out back, and that was really, really fun to catch up with him. But um, so you're right, you know, just being able to to see all that. I think it just mainly gives me an appreciation of like what these programs, you know, what what's been done at just go around 465, you know, just the number of programs in history. And I try and teach that to our guys. You know, we were. Um, I think very fortunate to play a tough schedule and get some good name programs and always make a point to point out different things about their lineage and who's coached and played there, especially if we're going to their place. And uh, just because I think that's neat. I, I think that's something that they're very blessed to do. You know, Coach, I'd be remiss if I didn't get a chance to ask you. Um, you know, we, we've had a number of coaches on, and, and you talk about their, you know, their coaching influences. Well, you've just given us, uh, you know, in this past hour already, uh, a, a list of tremendous coaches <laughs> that you've been in around in your life. And so, whether it was Scotty Davenport at the high school level, whether it was Coach Crum, whether it was Ron at IUPUI, when it came time for you to become a head coach, and, and I'm, I'm seeing both the IUPUI and Brabuff now. I mean, how did you figure out who you were as a coach? What what uh, uh, strategies you were going to implement? Offenses, defenses. How did you did you pull from each of those guys, or how did you set out as a head coach with your uh, your style and your philosophies? You know, that that is a really good question, and I think that's probably something when people do enter into a head coaching role, or even in my situation where you're at that program and slide over a seat, you know, metaphorically you hear all the time. Um, what I liked about my situation was, and there were some good things and bad things about it, you know, like um, I didn't have to unpack any boxes, you know, I didn't have to move offices, I just had to move it down the hallway. Um, and so you, you kind of had a vision for what things would be and continue to be. And so that was very helpful to me. Um, I think as you grow as a coach, I think it kind of starts with like, 
you know, there's an overall thing of, you know, are you able, maybe there's some fires that you need to put out, you know, whether that's, you know, and, and not necessarily like, I mean, like, are you blocking out that game or were you prepared or did you do too much that week and maybe didn't have your legs or did you not do enough or, boy, was the travel times not quite what you needed them to be and, and now you're really paying for that, you know, just some things that you needed to be able to assess and, there's a couple of years as you get into coaching, you can't put out any fires. You don't have the ownership. You don't have the voice. You don't have the, you know, the trust and those things that those things take some time. And so then there's the evolution of like, you better be able to sniff out the fire. So like you may be talking about it or Ron would be, or coach Crum would be talking about it. No one even knows what he's talking about. And it's just kind of like, I'm telling you like this, is, it's not going to be there. It's not going to work. Or, or I'm telling you, if we do X, Y, Z, this will really work. And you may think he's speaking Latin, you know, but um, you don't have the vision and lens that they do at that time with experience. Um, so I've all, I enjoyed that aspect of it, of like being able to, you know, do some things. Coach Crum always had a great line of like, don't major in minors. And so the point of that, and I, that's probably what I use the most of, we want to really, really take care of the basketball. I mean, whether that means literally no turnovers, which is kind of self-explanatory, but just really getting good shots. And that comes to, what we run, what we practice, you know, who has the the ownership to take these kind of shots and who doesn't and being able for guys to buy into that. And those are just roles. You know, I think there's probably two or three guys, LeBron and Kawhi maybe, and everyone else has a, has, is a role player, you know, so you better be able to have those, especially at the college level, those 13 plus guys on your team, what their role is. And it probably isn't the role that they had in high school or the last 12 years of the basketball career. So that takes some, some coaching and some, some buy-in. Um, high school is different because they are getting exponentially better every month, physically, mentally, socially, uh, you know, those things. So I think from a, from a background of influences, you know, I think there's a lot, a lot of it. Of, you know, my high school coaches were, were big believer in the meticulousness of, where to be on the floor, how to screen, the angle. I mean, literally to the nth degree. Coach Crum wasn't necessarily like that. It, it, not that um, it was loose or anything. I mean, everything that John Wooden did, we did. Um, but it was just, it was, you've got to be good. Like, we, we can set these down screens 12 different ways. But what does it matter if you're not going to be prepared to make the shot? You've got to make the shot. That's your job. Your job is to make the shot. And so guys understood that. Um, so that was that was you know I think really good of just the needed emphasis on preparation and production and uh, but you do start to shape you know what do I teach best defensively what do I teach best offensively what do I teach best for our guys coming off the bench or how do you keep the guys that aren't in either of those pools how do you keep them engaged every day in practice and so those are things I think when you get the opportunity you don't have those answers but they start to develop and, and you feel confident in what you're doing and when you're confident, they're confident, and, and usually success follows. Coach, uh, great stuff, but I, I do want to close out with your rebuff team for this season. Obviously, as we record this, it's uh, getting ready to be December 1st, and uh, we are all hopeful that we get a full high school basketball season in during this COVID-19 pandemic uh, that we are all facing uh, tell us about your team this year, and uh, you've had success in your time at Brebuff. Doesn't seem like it's been seven seasons, as Chris made mm -hmm. reference to, but uh, you've had success, of course, last year 
a great year for the program. But what what are you expecting this year with your team? Well, we're very excited. You know, we we um, really had a, a heavy heart, I guess you can say. We were still playing last year, and and we were playing at a high level. We had very good senior leadership. Um, we had some guys coming back from injury. We had, you know, our, our roster was starting to fill back out again as we we're heading into regionals, and um, you know, the world changed. You know, kind of that week, and so um, there's been somewhat of a, you know carry over from that I think of not necessarily unfinished business you know we really as everybody was apart for months on end you know we really termed it um win the weight and, and I got it from Doc Rivers and the Clippers and um but we really wanted to run as many miles and make as many shots in the offseason each week as we could with the number of returners that we had and then we would kind of add something each month whether that was free throws or push-ups or sit-ups and you know you start to add it all up and you know we made you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of shots and ran almost 2,000 miles. And, you know, so we we wanted to look back and say, boy, we got better and we did something. You know, we really, uh, last year's over, you know, didn't really finish, but, you know, those seniors aren't coming back and we need to be ready to go. And, and this group is, you know, we have three seniors that I think will have great careers, uh, you know, here at Babuff, Anthony Hobson, Evan Altman, in Austin Ezell, um, I think they can all play at the college level and get recruited at the college level at different different degrees. Um, Billy Smith is a junior that I think, as a freshman, was on varsity but just played behind some really good players, um, averaged one or two points a game, and last year averaged 14. And as you know, in Marion County, that doesn't happen very often. And he had 27 the other night. He's a 6'6 wing, and, and he's on his way as a junior, I think, is one of the better juniors in this class in the state and it's a talented group um and then you know we've got some depth coming back in our junior class with some guys that were sophomores last year that you know had good jv years um we were able to uh three or four or four transfers came into the fold which is new to us we have only had one and, and during this time here um and i think a lot of that had to do with just the buffs atmosphere academically socially in light of kind of what was going on in academics uh in the world right now and so um, it's putting some pieces together that I, I really feel good about depth-wise. We'll, we'll play a great schedule. I think we'll be able to do a lot of different things on both ends of the floor. And so I'm excited about it. They've really, I think, done a good job this far. Of, uh, and I can't imagine being in this, the shoes that they're in. You know, as I, I recounted all those glorious, like, great days of high school yesterday of, like, well, a big part of that was being in the halls every day and being in the locker room or being on the bus or um, doing, you know, a million other things, they're not getting that. And what I told them is, is, no, it's not great, it's not fun, but no one is. And so we just have to, you know what, we're going to practice at this time tomorrow, be ready to go, you know, because we've had a week where we practiced at that time and and that was it, you know. So just be ready to go. Now, I feel confident, and I keep telling people, like, I think volleyball did a phenomenal job and they got through a season. Now, they don't have flu season, they don't have Thanksgiving break and semester break and some of those things, but I think if you're smart, and I've seen so many, uh, my daughter's a a high school senior now, and she's played a a few games already, Um, you've just seen the the protocol at different schools and the attention to detail and the attention to safety and and wellness, it can be done, you know, Um, it's going to be a safe environment to compete in. Uh, we just need to make sure when we're not competing or not at practice, now that we're not at school for a while, 
just got to continue to make good choices. You know, you've heard a million times, mask up, wash your hands, social distance and all that. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say, I can't believe I'm watching all these college games on. I don't know what these coaches, I can't even watch some of the games. These coaches aren't masked. <laughs> they pull it down every time they talk. And I just think it's, it's a bad example and bad optics that they can do a, a whole lot better with. And, and uh, I think our guys are doing a great job. We, we practice with them. Uh, we, with masks and try to stay a social distance as much as we can on every drill, you know, in scrimmages of, you know, limiting stops and starts of what we're doing and just trying to do all we can to be as safe as we can. So our senior seniors can have a great season. They deserve it. That's what I've, I've always termed our program. It's going to be about the seniors and then the varsity and then the program. And then we'll kind of get to you and what we think you need to be doing or those things. But this year it's all seniors all, all through the, through the way. And so my daughter's a senior player at Fishers and, you know, they've had their senior night, they've had six or seven games. And, and every time I'm able to pull in home or away to, to watch her play, I just count my blessings because it, I'm so happy for her and her team to have this kind of, opportunity to keep playing every week and so we can do it we, we we can maintain a safe approach to it and be smart and do those things but the, yeah with back to our team I, i'm really excited about our whole program it, it's been a it's been a tough few months for these youngsters for everybody but um even our freshmen you know to get acclimated to the buff is tough enough and to kind of be in this environment is even tougher but Great parents, great buy-in, great understanding of what, what they need to do every day, and it's it's continued to make it, make it fun. And so, when you get to practice or get to a game, you do feel normal. Well, coach, you've been uh, very gracious with your time, sharing a lot of great history, a lot of great stories. You made reference to your daughter, so I want to close this out with uh, a little bit of a family question for you. Um, and this just strikes me again as cool. I mean, you, you grew up as uh, the son of a former Louisville Cardinal, uh, Final Four player. Now you've got your own uh, deep <laughs> history in the game as well. Uh, your daughter, as you referenced, she's a senior at Fishers. She hit 10 three-pointers in a game a couple weeks ago. And um, I also, if I'm correct, is your son a student manager at IU as well? So you've got kids in the game? Correct. Yes, correct, correct. And so um, that's been really cool. Um, a, being able to coach him. So my first year at Rebuff, he was a freshman. And that was just on the heels of being a college coach for 20 years and missing this and missing that. And I feel I did a great job. And, and Ron afforded me the opportunity. And as I became a head coach, hopefully afforded my staff the great opportunity to, you're going to be home at dinner. You're going to take him to school in the morning. You're going to, if you can go on that field trip to the zoo, do it. You know, this stuff will be here when you get back. So I enjoyed all those things. But you know what? In the summers, you know, you're out recruiting in all over the country in Vegas or you're traveling. Our league was spread out all over the country and we played the national non-league schedule too. You you do miss a lot. And so being able to drive into school with him for four years was outstanding. And then him playing for us was outstanding. He did a phenomenal job. And then he, you know, uh, wanted to go to Indiana and, and go that route and be a student manager. I mean, their lineage of who's been a manager there is just awe-inspiring, and, and he loves it. He, he loves their staff. He loves the program, the history of it, um, the lineage of those student managers, and um, I do all I can to talk him out of coaching, but <laughs> uh, I, I, I kid with that, but um, he, that's his passion. You know, at my age, I, as I mentioned, I wasn't looking at that at all, and he already is and has great 
relationships that he's built with you know all levels of the game. So uh, he's he's passionate about that. It makes me very very happy that no matter what it is, he's passionate and invested in doing so. And then as I mentioned, just being able to see our daughter play her senior year has been great. But yeah, it was a couple Saturdays ago. They're playing a really good Columbus um, East team who's coached by one of my dad's former teammates, Danny Brown, who him and Billy Harmon were great players at Jennings yeah. County. And I grew up with those guys. And so Danny's had a great run as a, as a high school girls coach and one of my favorite people. And, and so she banged 10 in and a great game is a well-played game, both teams. And, but then she had two free throws to really seal and win the, win the game. And uh, it was a really neat day because you're just kind of like, okay, I'm not counting. I'm not my wife would kind of look at each other like, I don't know. I don't know, I don't know how many. She, I'm just like I'm not thinking about it. You know, like you don't want to jinx a no-hitter or a perfect game or something. But she was thinking of 10 of 13 on the day. And like, and they're flying at her. You know, they, they were really tough shots. And she was just locked in that Saturday morning. We're very proud of her. And uh, it, it was a good win for her program for sure. Coach Todd Howard of Indianapolis Rebuff. Coach, lots of great stories and memories. And uh, thank you so much for your time. It's been really fun to catch up today. Likewise, guys. Really enjoyed it. And, uh, um, again, as I said at the start, you guys do such a great job for, for the game here in the state. And uh, to be on with you guys was, was really, really cool and a lot of fun. And good luck to you guys. I hope it's a great season for everybody. Absolutely. And, again, uh, Coach Howard, we appreciate his time today. Uh, another episode in the books of the Indiana High School Hoops podcast with Dennison and May. If you enjoyed Chris and I's conversation today with Coach Todd Howard. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcast. All you got to do is type in Indiana High School Hoops podcast with Dennison and May. Click subscribe, and you can join us there each and every time a new edition of the podcast is released. And that's going to wrap things up today. Until next time, for Chris May, Matt Dennison. So long, everybody.